3: Hello. Hello. How are things your end? Well, it's pretty hard times, isn't it? I mean, for the country and, you know, very strange times. How are you finding being a a teacher to your two lads? I'm trying to do my bit. I think my wife is not for the first time doing better than me, but I'm trying to sort of share the load. And she had this idea that I should teach them how to do a speech. How's that gone for you? Not a speech about sort of post-neoclassical endogenous growth theory or something, (laughs) but something that they are interested in. Well, Sam is going to do the liverpool barcelona semi-final when liverpool came back that was a year last year and daniel's doing chess nice and i said the beginning of the speech has to sort of grab people by the ghoulies they were quite surprised that i would say that i
4: think i think we're all quite surprised that you used the the word ghoulies in 2020 well you're not surprised are you really well, no, it's very very on-brand for you to be using a word that we haven't heard since the 80s. Anyway, it's a way to distract them. How are you coping? Yeah, you know, it's sort of the same. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to fill the time with my four-year-old. We're doing lots of drawing.
3: I'll tell you what I'd
4: really recommend. There's this cartoonist
3: or illustrator called Rob Bidolf. I think that's how mm. you pronounce his name. He's been doing this thing online about how to draw, and you basically, he draws it online, whatever, and then you sort of, you know, emulate him. And I got really into it. I was helping Sam colour in. I, I mean, I sort of don't think of myself as very good at drawing at all, but there was something very satisfying about doing that with him. Just for people to know, it's called Hashtag Draw With Rob, and uh, you can find it online. And uh, he's done a Gregosaurus, a Sausage Dog, um, Fredbear, and Kevin.
4: He's he's like a Tony Hart for the new millennium. Shall I say what we're talking
3: about this week? Yes. This week we're talking about supporting children and young people through the current crisis. This is obviously an incredibly difficult time for everyone, but we're asking how we can support children's mental health and well-being during this period of uncertainty and anxiety. Uh, the school's obviously closed, uh, except for a, a small number of children, um, and... I think we're all learning what an incredible job schools do or being reminded of what an incredible job schools uh, do. We know that school closures risk widening the achievement gap between wealthier and less wealthy children based on the resources they have at home. We know all children and families are facing pressure. We're going to be asking educational psychologist Dan O'Hare about how to talk to children about coronavirus and support them when out of school. Then we'll be talking to Jane Kennedy, the head teacher of Barlow Hall Primary School in Manchester, one of, and this is an inspiring conversation, one of many schools doing amazing work with pupils and families during the current crisis. And then we're talking to Becky Francis from the Education Endowment Foundation about how to minimise the impact of school closures on educational inequality.
4: And our cheerful people this week, uh, we've we've spoken to one of them before. It's Alex Smith, who is the chief executive of the Cares family. uh, And he's going to be joining us along with one of his volunteers, Amy Harvey, to talk about how they're connecting with older neighbours during this period of social distancing.
3: What's your reason to be cheerful, Jeff?
4: Well, in amongst all this, something beautiful has happened to me. So I went to my kitchen drawer, the utensil drawer, the other night and tried to open it and it would not open. Something's jammed in there. I am not somebody who's very practical at all in this situation. I would probably shake it a few times and then, you know, get someone in the next day to come around and fix it. And obviously I can't do that with social distancing. So I put a video of it up on Twitter And it's had around 70,000 views uh, at the point at which we're talking to each other. And I'm being inundated with suggestions from people about how I can unblock my utensil drawer and it's, it's a beautiful thing I'm providing regular updates I'm, I've tried many different things nothing is working at the moment uh, most of the, the suggestions now are involving brute force which I don't have very much of but it's just incredible how much the Twitter community has rallied around me at this difficult time of not being able to open my kitchen drawer
3: I mean I've got to say the Twitter community has really come into its own hasn't it mm. I've been a period off to- Twitter for about three months from christmas and then the virus has sort of forced me back onto it just because well i just has i mean obviously your draw has been fantastic but i mean i think i've been sending you and my wife some of the um not in that order my wife and you some of (laughs) some of the sort of highlights i mean my particular favorite this wasn't going to be my reason to be cheerful but it is one is the 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 woman and the man who pretended to be a horse Oh, it's fantastic. It's so good. I mean, it's really hard to describe, but she's got very long hair and she pretends to be the back of a horse. And then mm. he is the sort of front of the horse. And it is honestly just, I mean, I thought it was—it had like nine million views when I'd watched it. Yeah. I mean, not that I'm making your f- views feel sort of inadequate, but, you know, uh, but I think your draw thing is brilliant. What's, what's your reason to be cheerful? Well, look, mine is sort of slightly, it doesn't feel like it compares to your draw, but... Well, one of the challenges when you're, you know, when you're not watching the telly is how you can make sure you're not actually listening to, to more and more stuff about coronavirus because the psychologists are rightly saying you've got to limit your, your exposure to the news. And I just listened to an absolutely, honestly, and I don't tend to get emotional, as you know, about these kind of things, but I found myself incredibly emotional about this episode of The Daily about Tom Hanks. And basically, it's this episode of The Daily where this New York Times reporter goes to interview Tom Hanks, and she's having a really hard time. And then halfway through the interview, or even less, she basically um, sort of bursts into tears in front of Tom Hanks in this interview. And it's all about what a nice man Tom Hanks is. I'll listen to that. That sounds great. It was on the 15th of March. It's a special episode. The Tom Hanks story will make you feel less bad. and, And it certainly made
4: me feel less bad. You're listening to Reasons to be Cheerful
5: with Ed Miliband and Geoff Lloyd.
4: So to talk to us about the emotional and psychological effect on children, we have Dan O'Hare, who is an educational psychologist in Gloucestershire and lecturer at the University of Bristol. Uh, Dan, hello. Hi, how are you? Uh, I'm all right. I mean, I'm quite concerned. I've got a four-year-old. Ed's got boys who are a bit older than that. And... I, I'm sort of worried about whether I'm doing a good job communicating to him. So what I'm trying to explain is everything's closed at the moment. We can't go to the playground. We can't you know go to the cafe because uh, people are poorly, and we could make them more poorly if we go outside. So we've all got to give each other space. How how good a job do you think I'm doing for a four year old? I, I think firstly, like being worried is absolutely normal
6: as, as a parent. You know, having that worry is is it's normal, lots of parents are going through that, and just that sense of what do I say, how do I say it uh what words do I use and it's particularly difficult, like if you've got children of different ages um but the fact that you know what you said is that you're saying to them that you know we can't go to the park, you know uh, people are ill, you know if we're near them, we might make them worse what what we as educational psychologists have said is is being truthful is really important, and the fact that you're saying what I'm doing is being truthful is is a really good thing to be doing. Um, because children just seem to know, don't they? They, they kind of know when we're not being truthful. Um, and I just wonder if sometimes that, that leads to those thoughts around, well, what, what's, what's missing here? What am I missing? And, and there's that risk, isn't there? If we're not truthful and factual with children that they might have gaps in their understanding. And if those gaps are there, <laughs> children have that sort of capacity to, as, as the adults actually, fill those gaps with their imagination.
4: How bad can that fill in those gaps be? So my son, when he was still at nursery, when the nursery was still open, was talking he started talking a lot about germs, and then mm-hmm. I started like, spinning my wheels thinking, what if he now grows up germ phobic mm-hmm. um, be- because you know they're, they're getting sort of half of bits of information.
6: The difficulty is is that there's, a lots of, there's lots of media at the moment, isn't there? Whether it be social media, TV, and children can be seeing things that might seem really different and really scary. But empathising in that moment with a child can be really powerful. So when, when children are saying things like that and, and sort of possibly you know starting to talk about germs what they might be doing is actually just expressing to us their anxiety about what they're witnessing and and we we as adults have that kind of responsibility to help children label what they're feeling so if they're asking questions about germs or about diseases, we can, we can sort of reflect back to them, can't we? You know, Yeah, all this talk about germs is kind of worrying sometimes, isn't it? And even that act of just labelling that emotion of worry can really reduce the intensity of, of that emotion for a child or young person.
4: And, and how about them picking up stuff from the news? So I know it's a different situation, but I, I feel like I'm part of a generation who grow up with anxiety because you'd be seeing stuff about the nuclear bomb on the news the whole yeah. time. I mean, does is 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 this going to filter through? Are we going to have a sort of inevitable generation of anxious people because of, because of what they're experiencing through the news during coronavirus?
6: I, I'm not sure if it's ine- inevitable. I think part of our role as adults is to is to kind of filter all of that news media. So, you know, whether it's joint viewing a news program with, with a young person, whether it's making sure that actually as adults, we kind of restrict the amount of time that we're spending on news media so that we can then give the really key information to children rather than them having just sort of unfiltered access to it. Because children's understanding will differ depending on their age or the maturity. And, you know, parents and carers are, are going to know that better than anyone. So we can sort of do that for children, just filter it.
4: And do we need to be managing our own anxiety under normal circumstances? If you're an anxious parent, then you can pass that anxiety on to children. Do we need to be working hard to sort of manage our own anxieties around uh, the coronavirus? Yeah, definitely. When you go on a plane, you know, they, they give you that message,
6: don't they? If something happens, put your own mask on first before you help someone else. And I think that analogy is really powerful for emotions as well. So if we're feeling really anxious or uncertain or perhaps frustrated and we try and have a conversation with a child about their frustrations or their anxieties, then they're likely to sort of feed off each other. We might not be in the right position to have that conversation. So it is really important for adults to kind of recognise how they're feeling in that moment. And if you're feeling anxious or panicked, perhaps you 've just had a work email that 's panicked you or you 've seen something on the news about a different city that you know you might have family members there it 's going to be really important for for us to kind of identify and, and recognize well what what helps me feel calmer before I talk to talk about this to my child or young person. What, what can I do to sort of bring my own emotions down? Do I need to listen to music? Do I need to go to the garden if you're lucky enough to have one? Do, can I just spend 10 minutes with the cat? You know, something that reduces adult anxiety is going to help children because that's reassuring in itself, isn't it? If we're feeling sort of calmer and more relaxed.
3: Now, Dan, you've talked about how we should talk to our kids about, about this issue and how we should deal with it. What about the more general advice you would give about the experience we should be looking for kids to have during this time and the balance between schoolwork screen time having a nice time
6: yeah <laughs> what, what, what give, give us your thinking um it's I mean the first thing is that it's it's uncertain for everyone as, as as educational psychologists alongside everyone else we haven't experienced anything like this before either and and it's really hard to to try and give good advice while, while recognizing that the situation is changing all the time. Um, but it can be really tempting. I think, you know, particularly as schools have closed, it can be really tempting to focus on their educational activities, learning, online learning, all that sorts of, all those sorts of things. Um, but I, I think the first piece of advice for parents and carers is that don't, don't try to replicate a full school timetable at home. Um, Homes aren't set up to be schools. Most parents aren't teachers. And it's it, 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 what what do children need at this moment in time? Well, lots of children might be feeling uncertain. They'll they'll be experiencing kind of extended social isolation away from their friends. They might not have seen family members that they, they, they're used to seeing. And so they probably don't right now need the stress of learning how to learn at home, you know, trying to log on and handle all the online learning systems. The things that could be really powerful are play number one play is, is fundamental to children's well-being and development so trying to play as much as you can and and there's a lot of learning in play as well you know if you play shops you're learning about social interaction you're learning about communication you're learning about money you're learning about weight uh, you know all of those different things I- even in a game of sort of playing shops so play is really important um, and and it's okay to you know if, if a young person wants to do maths or wants to do some online learning that's fantastic but it's, it's kind of OK as a, as a parent or a carer to recognise that that might not happen today and that's fine. You know, Perhaps we're just in a position today to read some books and play with Lego. That's absolutely fine. And giving ourselves permission for that flexibility can be calming and reassuring for the child, but also for us as adults. I suppose
3: speaking about the experience of my own kids during the last uh, week of being at home, I'm quite struck that I think as a parent one's ambitions go you, you 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 sort of have a change of priorities from they need to learn while they're away from school to we need to get through this and they need to have an as okay an experience as it can be because i suppose i feel like you, you want to reduce the trauma of this event as much as possible Definitely. and if the if it's a miserable time then that's gonna make it a more negative
6: experience i absolutely agree ed in terms of what are children going to look back and remember? They're going to look back and remember the chance to play, to, you know, play board games, watch TV programs, you know, all the stuff. If you, if you do have internet access, you know, I'm seeing fantastic videos of parents getting involved with some of this YouTube PE lessons in the mornings and, and they look like they're having such great fun. It, I, the only other thing I was going to talk about was, was there's been lots of focus and I think you do see it on social media a lot. There's been lots of focus on, on a routine. And I think there are different levels of routine. So some conversations have been focusing on the routine of sort of actual lessons throughout the day. So perhaps, you know, some English in the morning and then some numeracy or, you know, some science. And 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 it kind of feels like perhaps the routines that are maybe more important to focus on are the routines of good sleep you know good 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 bedtimes you know keeping meal times at the same time making sure that you know you really capitalize on that 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 exercise opportunity you know for a walk to the park or a walk around the block and making sure that all of those really important routines of sleep exercise and diet they're kind of they kind of feel like the more important ones at the moment than thinking about actual school lessons because they're the things that are really important to our physical but also our mental health as well
4: for those of us who do have very young children, how concerned should we be about the developmental impact on having their ability to socialise with other children completely removed? I suppose, in a sense, you know, when when, when things get back
6: to normal and, and schools are schools are back in place in early years settings, you know, there's a sense of of most children will have been in the same situation Um, and i suppose it's you know schools schools are going to be totally aware of that and you you can imagine that at the time they're they're going to be focusing on how to how to support children back into into school settings or earlier settings Um, but you know the, the richness of interaction that can come from playing with parents and carers you know that can come from FaceTiming or Skyping or WhatsApping friends. My colleague and my colleague's friend both have children. I think they're around two years old. And she had sent a WhatsApp video of her son to another parent because their sons are very good friends. And the parent came back and just said that, you know, the other child absolutely loved that video and got so much from it. But he didn't really understand yet, you know, at two, two and a half, why he couldn't play with, with this other child. But there's, there's so many things we can do in terms of, as I say, that play, doing things together supporting as far as possible some of that contact with other children so whether that be through facetime or skype or zoom or whatever it is and just some of the things you see in local communities right you know sort of walking around my area there's so many of those rainbows on on people's windows um and i just wonder you know if you're a child and you've done that you've put a rainbow on your window and you go for your daily walk perhaps with with your with your mom or dad or carer and you see other rainbows on windows that sense of of belonging and connection and being part of something bigger that's going to be so rewarding and and trying to sort of encourage those sorts of expressions of of community and of belonging they're kind of they're kind of what would be called protective factors for children
3: where should people go if they want support are there particular websites you'd recommend around some of the issues we've been talking about particularly how to handle you know some of the difficult things their kids may be thinking about and talking about
6: yeah. So the British Psychological Society, last week, we published two pieces of guidance specifically for parents and schools. So our first piece of guidance is talking to children about coronavirus. And our second piece is, is around um, supporting schools and parents um, and carers because of the school closures. But there's also some fantastic resources on the Young Minds website, for example. So they kind of thinking about um, the general situation, but also young people who might be experiencing some of the negative effects of social isolation, um, and it's it's kind of a it's kind of an issue of <laughs> what should we leave out if we're recommending places to go? Because so many different organisations are really stepping up. So there's an organisation called Winston's Wish, for example, and their their webpages are fantastic in terms of you know if a child has. Um, experienced a bereavement because of the virus or if they are living with or witnessing someone who's experiencing severe illness winston's wish is a great it's a great organization to to get information from for that side of things
3: okay dan o'hare stay safe thank you very much you for, too. for joining us thank you
6: for what you're doing thank no thanks very much for having me i've really enjoyed it
4: we're going to talk now to Jane Kennedy, who is the head teacher of Barlow Hall Primary School in Manchester. Jane, thanks for coming on and talking to us. It must be an incredibly strange time for you. Um, do you want to talk to us a little bit about how the last few weeks building up to this have been, what kind of plans you had in place and, and how the teachers and pupils at your school have been, been dealing with it?
2: Um it's been an incredibly strange time uh, over the last few weeks. I think the build up uh, as you said has been quite a few weeks. Uh, I don't like being a virtual head, I'll be honest with you. Uh, it's very strange. Um it's just been so fast everything for everybody. It's the same for all of us really. It's been so fast. Uh, I think it's quite difficult to plan for things when you know that what was important in the morning is different by the afternoon. The great thing, though, is is that I think across schools, uh, certainly the schools that I'm I'm close to, um, have been working incredibly hard, pulling together, um, and, and knowing that they're really, really committed to make to make the difference, really.
4: And what was the sort of frame of mind like of the, the pupils in the run up to it? So, so what you're dealing with kids from the age of four, really. So how, how were they feeling as news of this was starting to filter through?
2: Um, To be honest, I think whether you're a child or an adult, whether you're 10 or we've actually got some two year olds at Barlow Hall, uh, I think we've all been a bit bewildered, even as adults, we've been very bewildered. So you can imagine for children how difficult it's been. So um you know on the last Friday we brought everybody together we did a bit of an assembly we have a school song so we we sang the school song and we promised that that would be the first thing we would do when we were all back together um and just looking at the children's of the faces you know when I stood in front of the assembly was just it was very very strange uh and normally you would expect children when you say, you know, and we're finishing school. Sometimes you'll get some of round of applause or a bit of a cheer. It was absolutely deathly silent. Um so, you know, we've just done our, our best really to try and alleviate the, the anxiety, both for the families that we work closely with um, and the families have been brilliant. We've got flowers, we've got chocolates, we've got cards and, you know, thanks for making the difference. And it was it was a great sort of team spirit, but it, it was strange. It was very strange.
4: And what are you doing to support pupils, their, their well-being, their education while, while they're away from school, while most of them are at home?
2: Um, so we've done a lot around reg- education for the children. So, um, you know, well, some of the barriers have been just simple things like making sure that email addresses for parents were up to date. That has been one of our biggest barriers. Uh, but we've set up, uh, we call them our deluxe work packs. Um, so we've set up the work packs. Um, and by the end of Friday, we still had over 100 work packs left. So uh, my staff at home delivered the work packs to families, sometimes because the families were self-isolating, um, sometimes because you know they weren't able to get to school, So we've delivered work packs. We are also daily emailing our families um, with, if you like, a bit of a plan for the day. Um, and then we can refer to what is in the work pack or sometimes we're putting links and learning platforms on there. Uh, and I think we're just getting better and better. So when whenever I open, open my emails now that the, the teachers and the staff are just putting on, you know, here's a great idea um, send this to the children. We, we kind of plan for our community. We We know our community. We know our families. We know our children. We know what they need. So, for example, the work packs that we've set up, we know which families have got access to stationery, scissors, and we know which haven't. Um, you know, so it's about looking at providing um, according to you know where families are and, and what their needs are. The well-being is something else, obviously. You know, and it's a big part of of, of trying to support the children. Um, but it's quite difficult when you're so remote uh, and it's all a bit virtual.
3: Jane, just give us this picture of how many kids do you still have in school out of the 300 or so that um that are your pupils
2: yeah so we've got 308 on roll um on friday night um which was a very very difficult day for for anybody in schools um whether you're leading schools or just in the school friday was a, a very difficult day uh, emotionally as well as trying to settle you were closing down a school and setting up a new provision so on Friday, we allocated 36 places uh, in our, we're calling it our childcare provision. Um, and those places were for children. Some children had uh, educational healthcare plans. Some we um, were vin- vulnerable for different reasons. And then obviously we've got a group around key workers. By Monday, um, we had, out of the 36, we had 16 actually turned up. By about half past 10, four of those families had withdrawn um, their children Um, and we've settled into a routine of somewhere between six and 10 children accessing uh, each day Uh, and I think that's relatively, local to where I am, that's fairly typical but they are having an absolute ball in the provision. There's no doubt about it. And the sunshine helped this week. <laughs> so,
3: that's definitely true. Now, you've got 46% of your uh, children on free school meals. Yes. Um, wh- wh- how, I mean, how worried are you about the sort of differential provision? How much do you think you can make up for that, the differential home provision that, that children have?
2: Um, I think it's difficult. I think it's one of the reasons why we have set up uh, a daily register so that each individual class teacher is uh, connecting through email um, with children. Um, Today, we have looked at that register to see which children are accessing and which aren't. We, uh, Myself and the deputy, Jen, have uh, got um, a, a safeguarding strategic approach uh, it's a bit like school improvement on the hoof, really. But we, we really wanted to make sure. Um, so we've kind of worked it in three different levels. We've obviously got our, if you like, our sort of high end social work involvement, children on uh, child protection planning. We've also then got our middle band um, of children that we know are going to struggle for food. Um, you know, for all sorts of different reasons. And then we've also got a band that we've picked up today, uh, children that are not accessing our emails, uh, we're not hearing from. So my staff, um, I've been uh, phoning to try and make sure that we've got a full picture. So this morning I was actually uh, home visiting with Jen to try and connect with, with families that we've not heard from.
3: That must be incredibly difficult because you're sort of home visiting while not being, being able, able to distancing. well keeping your distance yeah. I suppose. yes
2: we are keeping the distance yeah well you know on we're,
3: the doorstep
0: yes. home visiting on the doorstep yes we
2: are home visiting actually we've been we've been asked inside a lot <laughs> um and then yeah. the one had to say oh we can't do that um yeah so you know and actually the families are thrilled to see us you know they're really you know so that's that's, that's been really nice um and how
3: do you get them the schools the, the middle group who are reliant on free school meals and you're obviously not getting them or, or haven't been getting them what's the strategy? Actually there
2: free school meals, I mean we've got a list um we have communicated we we've got different strategies, so for some of our families, we're delivering them um and then what we've tended to do is we've delivered sort of two or three days um so they've got a supply for two or three days um other families are able to come in they're seeing it as part of their daily walk they're coming to school and collecting them um and then we're just this is this is why we're home visiting as well to make sure that um that children have got access to food and i don't know whether you know um jeff and ed but in manchester there is an amazing facility for women um called emmeline's pantry um it's a fantastic um concept that that families uh, are accessing um they have um uh, we refer in and they are able to collect four weeks food which has been an absolute uh to these families so uh, so that's been amazing so we've connected with that as well
3: it's a great irony or not irony but it's a sort of challenge here isn't it because in a sense I don't want to say this to a head teacher, but that well being matters more than learning at this stage. I suspect you'd agree with that. But at the same time at the same time, you know, you need to give kids things to do and there'll be some kids who lap up the learning. Yeah. Yeah. Partly because of their home environment and some kids who don't. So so it must be a really difficult sort of dilemma for you.
2: It is a dilemma because um parents can sometimes um you kind of know the ones that will and you know the ones that won't and the ones that won't really need it most um you know what we're trying to do with the with the activities that we're giving our children is is also about looking after their well-being so that you know, there's a lot of mindful activities, there's a lot of um sport, exercise. So we're trying to get the whole balance around that wellbeing. And we we planned our work packs and our activities to do that. So the learning and the well being for me sometimes can be quite um integral to each other as well. But my staff as staff will be in, in all schools, you know, they will be so committed to making sure that you know that children um feel that they're there for them um you know so though you know some of the things that the children are sending are in are fabulous so we're getting photographs and we're getting a little bit of blogs and um you know they're uploading writing that they're doing so you know so there's lots of, of really really good things that families are doing to support their
3: children can i ask you a more personal question jane which i hope you don't mind me asking which is how how does a head teacher in your position cope yourself with the stress of this moment because you know this is not a sort of normal in any sense a normal set of challenges that you're facing
2: no I don't think it's normal challenges but I think you know we're all in the same boat really um so I think what you do is is you just uh, alleviate anxiety for children as much as you possibly can as part of their activity today ed we actually asked them some of your questions so i might be able to read you out some of the things that they've shared with us really (laughs) so i'll I'll read you a couple of things really i think i think the key words that have come out the words that have been repeated are things like strange weird yeah (laughs) um sad upset the key thing is missing the friends. There's something about um, being sociable in a school. Um, they're very keen to tell us how, try, how they're trying hard with their learning. But then they were used words like lonely, worried. Um, and they were asking how we were, um, which is lovely. Uh, I think there's a sense that they're missing out, that they feel like they're missing out. But then there were some great things. that They've loved the sunshine. They've loved being with their family. They've quite enjoyed learning with their family. Um, They've learned to play drafts, uh, things that they've not tried before. Um, And they also recognise that they feel safe because they're staying at home. They do understand that concept, which I think was quite reassuring, really. Um, But one of the things, um, so I'll just read out perhaps a typical example. The, the, mum, the mum says that the, the child that um, has responded misses school terribly. Those, those were her words. But then the child has said that throughout the week, I felt different emotions, but mainly I felt sad. I'm sad that I'm not in school, not seeing my friends and teachers and learning different things. But I also feel hope that things will change and go back to normal. I felt pride last night when I clapped for the carers and the NHS. It will be hard, but I feel we can all get through this. And I just thought that was such a lovely oh, way of sort is. of, you know, great hope at the end, really. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, I think
4: you've set us. I think you've set us all off, Jane. <laughs> I was set off like t- ten minutes ago when you were talking about the school song, and, and now I'm in bits. <laughs>
2: Uh, well, there's nothing that our children and most children are if they're not resilient, um, you know, and I, and I think that, you know, they just need to know that they, they're safe and that we're here um, and we will continue to be there. Um, and I think that's what school staff know that they can do for children, because, you know, as the time goes on, they'll become more anxious and more isolated. Uh, and we just need to do more and more um, as, as, as weeks pass.
3: Jane, I must say, you know, we've done lots of interviews on this podcast, but it is incredibly humbling to talk to you. I mean, I think it's just extraordinary what you and others, and so many teachers and head teachers like you, are doing, and teaching assistants and support staff around the country. And I think we owe you an enormous debt of gratitude.
2: Well, I think we just need to keep uh, our eye on what's what's happening um and and people that are you know our frontline and we've got to support them that is very much i think under i think in schools we understand that that you know we've we've got nurses that um um attend this school um you know i've got a nursery boy here who his um both his parents are doctors so uh you know we need to do our bit really um so, and um, you know, we'll continue to do that. And I know that that is shared by schools across the country, certainly in Manchester.
3: Okay, Jane Kennedy, head teacher of Barlow Hall Primary School in Manchester, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Great to speak to you, thank you.
3: To talk about the differential impact of this crisis on um, different families, we're now joined by Professor Becky Francis, who is chief executive of the Education Endowment Foundation, a charity working on breaking the link between family income and educational achievement. Becky, thanks so much for joining us.
5: Thank you. Thanks for welcoming me. What do we
3: know about the impact of school closures on on children's education and the differential impact?
5: So we know that children learn less when they're not in school. Um, There's actually a really extensive research literature looking at the impact of holidays, summer holidays particularly, on learning Um, as well as studies that explore the impact of pupil absence or enforced school closures, for example, due to extreme weather. Um, Now, in some of those studies, there's um, a suggestion that there's, of course, learning loss over, over that period of time. And then you asked about, you know, the impact on different groups. And there's quite strong academic consensus that school closures have a stronger negative effect on disadvantaged children than on their peers. And there's a whole range of reasons for that, as you'd imagine. Um disadvantaged young people are likely to be affected worse by school closures because they have fewer educational activities and resources at home, uh, lower availability of books and so forth. And of course, lower rates of parental involvement and understanding due to differentials in um, family education or indeed due to working patterns, which is a real issue at the moment. And again, we know that um, different families will have different levels of access to digital provision. So, for example, whereas most households these days have, you know, a laptop or a computer and so forth, there's strong differentials between how many there are in each household. So whether um, all kids have access to that.
3: And tell us a little bit in, in broad terms what you think schools can be doing to limit the the um unequalizing effects of this period of school closure?
5: Yeah, so um, we think that there are two elements really. so, We know that um, the use of technology is—it's really hard to replace the learning relationships that exist between teachers and pupils in the classroom, and of course the research says that that is what makes most difference to kids' progress and learning, and that that's particularly important for disadvantaged kids. So it's really important that there is high-quality provision of um, digital and remote education for young people and that where teachers can uh, monitor that progress for disadvantaged pupils particularly, that will be really beneficial. There's also um, potential in offers like um, online tuition services and so forth, again, making sure that the quality's there and that that goes to the right pupils. But then we also think that it's going to be really important that schools are supported once they open up again uh, to um, very quickly reboost young people's learning. Um, so that there's a good bounce back for these young people. Um, and that can be done in a range of ways. We're actually looking at the possibility of, um, you know, what would the effect be to extend the pupil premium um, spending for policy at the moment, um, which, as you know, uh, targets uh, financial resource towards disadvantaged young people and that there may be need for policy approaches like that once schools reopen.
4: And something we've not talked about yet is uh, this this matter of the calculated grades that are replacing cancelled exams. Is there any concern that these could disadvantage certain groups of pupils?
5: Yes, I think absolutely. So, um, of course, there's great uncertainty for all and the p- potential for unfairness for every individual child. The um, issue about the kind of late bloomer phenomenon is, is, is well documented and, and a risk for all groups. But um, there is, there are particular risks for uh, pupils from disadvantaged backgrounds. So, for example, research has shown that predicted grades are often inaccurate. And also that they often underpredict the performance of high-attaining disadvantaged students. You know those um, sort of stereotypes and biases are hard to combat.
3: Can I ask a sort of heretical question, maybe to to, to end with Becky? Which is, this is obviously a terrible situation. Um, do you think that there will be lessons that we learn from what has happened? which can inform the future of our education system. I mean, I'm thinking of my son is not going to take his SATs at the age of um, 11 uh, this year because, you know, uh, the SATs have been cancelled. GCSEs are not going to happen. Are there lessons about the over-examination of children in this country which, which somehow might play out in some of the data that we see on... Or, or children? will it be not possible to tell or what, what's your thinking on that
5: i think um the there are definitely going to be long-term effects on our system in in a whole variety of different ways um i think that um some of the issues about uh resource and about modes of delivery are going to be long lasting so on the one hand i think that once schools reopen um the value that society places both on teachers, but also on those classroom relationships is going to be enormous. That being said, I think that the fact that we will have been through a period of months with only online delivery will mean that... um that digi- those digital modes of delivery won't stop. You know, schools will have got the hang of them um, and therefore uh, very rapid work and, and evidence provision on what is the most effective and high-quality platforms will be uh, really imperative um, to support the school sector because we're in quite early days with that in this country.
3: I think certainly speaking as a parent... I valued my kids' teachers already, but I think I, every parent will be thinking, you know, I realise firsthand what a difficult job they do.
5: Absolutely.
3: Uh, Becky Francis, uh, Chief Executive of the Education Endowment Foundation, thanks so much uh, for joining us and do stay safe.
4: Thanks for having me.
3: So what did you think of that?
4: Well, I found talking to Dan incredibly useful from a personal point of view and just just hearing from Jane, I found it very moving. And, you know, I I think sometimes we undervalue teachers in in our society or or certainly take schools for granted. And I hope that when we come out the other side of this, that, that shifts a little bit and I get the sense that it will.
3: Yeah, I mean, I must say I completely concur with what you say. I mean, I just found myself incredibly moved by what Jane was saying. I think the other thing that really occurs to me, well, I suppose two other things occur to me. One is, and Justine and I were discussing this. I think it's much, much more important for kids to be happy during this crisis than to learn. You know, yeah. just because because if you make them learn but they're like unhappy, it's going to really have a sort of long term effect of that horrible time for them. Well, I think if they're happy during as happy as they can be during this crisis then i think that's really important for their long-term kind of mental health And, and i think it feels like dan was confirming that and then secondly we're just obviously going to face big big challenges of educational inequality heightened challenges of educational inequality which will be easy to forget about once the crisis is over and we can't
4: you're listening to reasons to be cheerful
0: with ed Miliband and jeff lloyd
3: Now, in this very, very difficult time for the country and indeed the world, please do get in touch with us. We do want to hear from you um, about what you think you want to hear on this podcast. So you just need to go to cheerfulpodcast.com. Please do email us. We're, we're flexible in the sense that we'll obviously do our weekly episode. But if if the sort of need or the occasion arises, we might do Uh, extra shorter episodes as well so if the things you want to hear about cheerful stories that you think will cheer people up because goodness knows we need them at this time please do get in touch with us
4: this comes from hannah who says in these times of quarantine i've often found myself going down wikipedia rabbit holes and i was wondering if ed is aware there's a whole wikipedia page dedicated to the bacon sandwich incident did no, you know I wasn't said? aware,
3: actually, Hannah. Funnily enough, I hadn't searched for that.
4: <laughs> she says it's remarkably detailed and made Excellent. for a nice... Light-hearted read that hark back to simpler times. My favourite quote from the whole article is this. Cameron's Conservatives won the general election with an unexpected overall majority following Labour's defeat. Miliband resigned as leader. It is unclear what effect, if any, the photograph had on the eventual result. Uh, She continues, if I were Ed, I'd personally feel very powerful knowing that my ability or lack of to eat a bacon sandwich could alter the course of democracy.
3: She also says, on a final note, and a direct appeal to Jeff, in these times of quarantine, will you finally tell us the leisure centre story? Especially now all leisure centres are closed, you will bring that leisure-related content that we're all sorely missing in our lives. Now, for those who don't remember this or weren't listening to the podcast it was about 18 months ago now where Jeff was telling a rather long convoluted but yet nevertheless <laughs> fascinating <laughs> but nevertheless I want to emphasize this fascinating story about taking Jean to the leisure centre Um, and I then made some slightly sort of offhand remark about this story and then Jeff in a way that one's parents used to do with when one was a kid said well I'm not going to tell you the end of the story now and I've been you know desperately trying to persuade him uh to no avail and I eventually gave up. Jeff, this is the moment shall I see the no, end of the No, life? No, no, no.
4: It's, come it's, it's on. not it's not it's not happening. <laughs> Man, it's not happening. Come on. It's what no, we, need. Too, we need too much, content There's too much pressure on the there's story. Not, <laughs> it's like when you're telling an anecdote at dinner and then the waiter comes over just before you get to the punchline and, and you can never recover from that moment. You have to abort and abandon the story. I'll tell you what, I will tell that story if you release the video of you on a trampoline and the video of the two of us in the hot tub in Iceland.
3: I mean, I mean I'm almost tempted to say yes. <laughs> I mean... You know, but not quite. Well, I, I I'll take it under advisement. But I am, you know, I'm 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 sort of think I might be there with the trampoline video,
4: but not the hot tub.
3: Mm, I think the hot tub. I'm not sure we want hot tub related content at this moment. That's
4: that's that's the deal breaker.
3: Mm. I think yeah. I, I think I think. Well, let's watch this space.
4: Send us your ideas or suggest a guest for a future episode. Email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook or tweet at cheerfulpodcast. So in the Cheerful People slot this week, we are joined by alex and amy uh, to talk about the cares family now alex it's it's not your first time on the podcast um uh, this is alex smith he is the founder and ceo of the cares family do you want to just remind people who are perhaps new listeners or just forgetful um what what the cares family is
7: thanks for having me on jeff thanks ed um Yeah, the Cares family is a group of community networks all over the country. So uh, three in London, one in Manchester, one in Liverpool. And what they do is they bring older people in their 70s, 80s and 90s together to share time, laughter and new experiences with younger people, especially young professionals arriving in big cities. And we do that to reduce loneliness and isolation amongst older and younger people uh, and also to bridge generational divides. Um, so we've been doing that for about nine years, but obviously we've had to suspend those programs in the last couple of weeks and find new ways of bringing older and younger people together.
4: And how have you done that? Have you, how have you adapted to the social distancing?
7: So I guess it's, it's the people that we work with, especially the older people, are most at risk both of COVID-19 and of social isolation. Um, and that left us with a pretty difficult ethical or moral dilemma a couple of weeks ago when we were deciding how quickly we should be suspending our programs. Um, So we had to communicate very quickly that we were doing that across thousands of people uh, in the areas that we work in. But then very quickly we re-found the energy to try and reinvent all of our programmes. So one of the programmes that we normally run Um, It's called Social Clubs. They're normally, in normal times, dance parties, new technology, workshops, choirs, Desert Island Disc Nights, that sort of thing, where older and younger people share stories. And that has now all gone online. So we've piloted online social clubs, uh, little dance parties, little group gatherings, uh, and we hope to be able to expand those in the next few weeks. Uh, We have also got, and this is lovely, we've got lots and lots and lots of messages from younger people who have sent in poems, recipes, messages of hope, stories, quizzes, Uh, all of that sort of really creative content, um, and we've sent that to about 3,000 of the older people in our communities over the last week or so. Um, And finally, we're we're trialling, although we may not be able to do this at scale because there are obvious kind of safeguarding and data questions around this, but we're trialling for the time being, um, getting people to deliver food and prescriptions for the people in our communities who most need those.
3: Amy, tell us uh, about how you first got involved with North London Cares, Um, and and how you're coping in this crisis?
8: Um, Well, I first got involved in about um, 2017. Um, It started off as a bit of a New Year's resolution. I just wanted to do something to kind of volunteer and and help the community. Um, But I'd also recently lost um, all of my grandparents. So I was kind of missing that um, connection with older people as well. Um, So when my friend told me about North London Cares, I thought it was the perfect thing to get involved with. Um, So I signed up and i have been going to the social clubs um at least once a month um every month since then um also done some fundraising by running the half marathon um and uh, it is really difficult during this time to cope um and that's me being a young person that lives with my boyfriend and got access to lots of technology um so i can you know reach out to all my family members um so it does make me really sad to think that some of our older neighbors that maybe don't have that technology set up in their homes or um aren't maybe living with any of their friends or family um you know they might be struggling during this time.
3: And you've written a poem for the older people you're not currently able to see tell us what inspired you to do that.
8: Um well we got an email um sent round from one of the social clubs organisers um, a few weeks ago saying that they'd had to make the decision to suspend all the social clubs um which is obviously a sensible decision but it, very sad because it completely goes against the whole thing that North London Cares is, is trying to do. Um, but they did say, if you've got anything that you want to send us um, while we're trying to work out how to navigate through this crisis, then please do. Um, so I just thought I'd send a poem which had some ideas of things that our old neighbours could do at home, um, watching a film or uh, writing a short story. Um, and then maybe we can meet up and, and discuss those and, and share those with each other when we do actually see each other again at the social clubs.
3: Will you give us a little reading?
8: So, hello to all my neighbours that I won't see for a little while. I thought I'd send a short poem that will hopefully make some of you smile. Life might get a bit boring while we're be- being told to quarantine and repeatedly singing happy birthday to keep hygienic and clean. So keep yourselves entertained and know that I'm thinking of you. Why don't you put on your own film club and maybe have a cupper or two? You could do some creative writing, record a podcast on your phone, read a book or do some painting. There's loads you can do at home. And when we reunite, I'll look forward to hearing what you've done. We'll be back at the clubs in no time, having lots of laughter and fun.
3: That is a lovely poem. I I was going to end on this question, Alex, which is, do you think that there's a chance that this crisis will end up linking people better with their neighbours you know, the people on their street who are elderly and vulnerable. I I mean, it feels like some of that is happening, uh, not just from the outpouring of of national volunteers, but from what's happening in localities all around the country.
7: Yeah, and I think fear is temporary, but hope is permanent. Um, And so I definitely have the hope and have seen already so many amazing community organisations uh, organic projects, you know the, the amazing mutual aid projects that are coming up. Um, there is a sense that our lives are intertwined. Um, this is demonstrating what that means. It's more than just abstract. Now, I think people can see that our health is intertwined with one another's, and our opportunity is inter- intertwined with one another's. And I really think, and I hope that you know this. This is the this is the low point almost, or the the most difficult moment of. Decades of economic pressure, inequality, a lack of connection, and a lack of community um, that leads to an uptick in all of those things. And there are signs already that we can we can people want to create a more sustainable world and a world where people know one another and are looking out for one another. Um, and that's one of the things that I'm really hopeful comes out of this moment.
3: Well, to, to both of you, there's obviously lots of ways people can volunteer, including the national. Volunteer scheme, and, and hundreds of thousands of people have volunteered for that. But, Alex, in particular, if people want to get involved in the CARES family during this period, there'll be people at home who maybe haven't heard of the CARES family before, but who want to do their bit for people in their community. Tell us how
7: and where people can volunteer. Two ways, really. The first is um, visit www.thecaresfamily.org.uk, and from there you'll be directed to a local branch of the CARES family if there is one in your area. Um, And the second way that you can help is obviously there are lots of charities going through very difficult times financially right now. We're running a crowdfunder, which is uh, matched by one of our generous supporters. So ten pounds that you may be able to donate becomes twenty pounds, and so on. Um, So if people are able to give a little bit at this time to help their elders to stay connected in what is a really disconnecting time, um, then we'd obviously really appreciate that.
3: Okay, Uh, Alex Smith and Amy Harvey, thank you very much for what you're. doing during this crisis and thanks so much for joining us
8: thank you thank you for having us reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd
3: well we're in the outro I-, I wanted to raise something which is I've been doing quite a lot of work online including online calls through mainly through uh zoom I mean I think there's just a whole new world that we're sort of being educated into and I sort of feel like uh, as somebody uh, now in my <coughs> 50s um that it's quite challenging but also there's sort of no you're
4: entering a world of etiquette that you didn't know existed you know should you be in vision yeah because we, we we haven't been in vision at all on the podcast apart from at one stage uh when we weren't recording you wanted to show me your hair that it's getting long yeah you know, concerns around that but i mean is, is it okay to sit here in your pajamas for example
3: i think being out of vision is better if you can sort of if you can get that as the as the sort of default mode actually Mm. I mean don't you think because it's, I think when I was a child people used to talk about video calls and what they're going to be like and it was very much Tomorrow's world video calls you know it's like what if
4: you're on the loo you know um, and they, they'd never know when it's audio only well not if you're on mute I mean I think both mute <laughs> and turning
3: off the camera seem to me to be really quite important features right I'd like to thank our guest, Jeff Jane Kennedy, who I thought was absolutely brilliant. Dan O'Hare, um, who's obviously doing incredibly important work, as is
4: Becky Francis. And thanks to Alex and Amy for turning us what's going on with the Cares family. Emma Caution produces our podcast with backup and research from Joel Pierce and Joe Kenyon. And Teresa Regan, Joel's mother, who recommended Jane
3: Kennedy uh, as our guest.
4: What a great suggestion, Teresa. We salute you. Thank you, and thank you for raising such a fine young man. Yeah. Uh, Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. Uh, James Deacon made the eye-dense seed, composed the music, and our artwork was designed by... Henry Cole. He's been Jeff Lloyd. He's been Ed Miliband. And these have been... Reasons to be Cheerful.